This is a no-brainer. We do exactly what Jesus said. We go into town, we find the donkey with its coat. I just untie. don't understand why Jesus wants us to commit a crime. He wants us to steal a donkey. No, no. Not steal. Borrow. Oh, so we're just supposed to stroll into town, untie the donkey, and... And say exactly what he said to say. Oh, what is it? Oh, that the Lord has need of it? Yes, and we'll return it. What does that even mean, the Lord has need of it? It's self-explanatory. Why are you being so, so... So, so, so me? Because you all know that I'm the rule follower of the bunch. I just don't know why Jesus just didn't ask Peter to do this. Yeah, I'm thinking the same thing. This is so up Peter's alley. Steal the donkey, cause an uproar, that's his thing. Peter is the reason why banks chain their pens. Oh, I just don't want to go to jail. You know I hate one-ply toilet paper. I... Lower your voice. Look, we're just going to do what Jesus says. What's the worst that can happen? Oh, what's the worst that can happen? What's the worst that can happen? I don't know, a cracked rib, a busted lip, the kind of name-calling that'll put you in therapy years down the road? Stop it! Stop whining! Stop talking! Stop everything! Stop freaking out! Um, I, I, I don't mean to be judgy here, but someone needs to get the log out of their own eye. You have trust issues serious trust issues. You even know how many germs are in a jail cell, do you? No, 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 I don't, I don't. I'm sure it's a whole lot, okay? I don't know. And I don't know why Jesus wants us to get a donkey, and I don't know why people are gathering branches over here and lining the streets, but it just seems like there's something big is about to happen. Wait a minute. Yeah. Go back. Why did you say I had trust issues? Okay. Okay, let's make it about you. What? Think about it. Since we've been following him, we've seen him give sight to the blind. He's healed people with leprosy. He's raised people from the dead. From the dead? I can't even raise you from a nap. Hey, I think we can trust him with this donkey issue. I just did. I have trust issues. I see how Jesus trusts the Father. He trusts so much, even more than the ground that I'm standing on. To trust someone like that, I, I, I just can't even imagine. Yeah, yeah. But if you're gonna trust someone, it's him, right? Oh. Okay, all right, let's do it. We got this. Hi. You first. Baby steps. Hey, when we get there and we grab said donkey, maybe I really should leave like a Benjamin. No. A 20 spot? No. A thank you card. Stop it. All right, I'll trust him. You, but that feels like me an awful lot. <laughs> I think it's funny. He says, you have trust issues. Why didn't he pick Peter for this project? Should I just tell you that Peter is my favorite right now? Probably because, you know, he just goes on a whim, right? He follows his heart no matter what. And, and, and I envy that. I, I wish I was less reserved. Can you believe that? 
I do. I wish I was more outgoing and more, more engaging and more excited about Jesus 24-7. I am. Believe me, I am. I'm here every Sunday excited about Jesus and other times too. And if you ask me about him, man, I will tell you all about him. But will I readily walk up to people and tell them? Hmm. Changes the tenor. It's much easier to stand in front of a group of people that I know love the Lord and tell them about our Savior than it is to engage a bunch that do not know. Do you ever have trouble trusting God? Do you ever wonder what God is up to in a situation that he's put you in? You wonder why you're here, what you're supposed to do, or, or what's supposed to come next. Maybe it's an opportunity to share the gospel. Maybe, maybe it's, a, it's a, an illness you're dealing with. Maybe it's, maybe it's just there's somebody sitting next to you crying, and you're going, I don't know what to do with this. There's no crying in baseball, right? Movie reference, right? Okay. That's how old you are if you laughed at that. So the point would be, that God puts us in positions often, and we have a lot of difficulty trusting Him. We have a lot of difficulty following through with what He's asked us to do without asking all those questions. The disciple, I don't, the unnamed disciple that was played by the one gentleman who, <laughs> he said, look, you know, I, I can't do this. I can't steal. This is theft, right? Jesus is asking me to steal. And the other one says, He's not asking you to steal. He's asking you to borrow, right? One of them sees that maybe he doesn't quite understand why Jesus is doing this, but what he knows is his job is to trust that he's heading him in the right direction. But trusting him, not being able to see what he's doing, isn't just a problem for us. The fact is it was also a problem for the disciples, Theologian Andy Rouse said one of the most perplexing things about the Easter story, which is the story we're discussing this week, is that Jesus' own disciples just didn't get it. Even when he told them, even when he made it obvious, at the Last Supper, which is what this, this picture is designed to, to show us, in John 13, we see this story. It says, when Jesus had said this, he was troubled in his spirit, and he testified, truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. So what did he just tell them? One of you will betray me. The disciples started looking at one another, uncertain which one he was speaking about. One of the disciples, the one that Jesus loved, was reclining close beside Jesus, and Simon Peter motioned to him and said, go find out. Go find out what he's talking about. And so he leaned back against Jesus, and he asked him, Lord, who is it? And then Jesus replied, he is the one I give the piece of bread to after I have dipped it. So he says, one of you is going to betray me. And then he says, which, which one? He's going to identify him. I'm going to tell you which one it is. He says, then he had dipped the bread and he gave it to Judas, Simon Iscariot's son. And after Judas had ate the piece of bread, Satan entered him and Jesus told him, what you're doing, do it quickly. And then here's the kicker for me. None of those reclining at the table knew why he had just said this to him. Now, I think we just covered, right? And yet they had no idea, even in the presence of God, in the midst of him telling you, I'm going to do this, and this is why I'm going to do it, and 
but none of them get it. Do you ever feel that way when you're having a discussion with somebody, or do you ever feel that way personally? You feel like you should know what you're supposed to be doing and why, but for some reason you just don't. You didn't hear the message. You didn't get it, even though it was presented to you. The truth is, Jesus' disciples, his people sitting in a room with him when he tells them exactly what he wants them to do, they still don't get it. I wish that was the only example. But it's not. It is all over the Gospels of Jesus saying, we're going to do this, and this is why, and them going, what? I don't understand. I think at their core, they probably do understand. They're just nervous about trusting where he's heading them. Maybe they don't want to see it. I don't know about you, but if I'm sitting at a table with my best friends that I've been traveling with for years and other followers of Christ, and, and, and the, my leader says to me, Jesus himself says to me, one of you is going to betray me. Can I just tell you, I probably don't want to hear that. Not, for, not just for my sake, but for the sake of my friends. I don't want to hear that. We allow our own personal issues, just as this man did with the donkey, right, to, to get in our way. We have a perception, a way that we look at the world, and we allow that to infiltrate the way we follow Jesus, the way we see Jesus, the way we understand Jesus. But the reality is he asks us to do our best, and it's really hard to set aside those things and follow the direction that he takes us to do what he tells us to do. One of the reasons we wonder why we struggle with this so much is because the truth is we can't always see where God is heading. God is always 10 steps ahead of us. He is always 10 steps ahead of us, at least. It's kind of like we are, we are small children. When you are an adult, a parent, you're telling your child that they shouldn't stick their finger in an electrical socket, right? And the kid goes, why not? It's a hole. I have a stick. It fits in the hole. Why would I not do that? I mean, most little boys would do that, right? They would just, I've got to figure out what's on the other side of that, right? For, for screwdrivers, yeah. There are times when you should not admit your fallacies and past errors. Oh, you were three. Okay. Blame it on your age. Go for it. Okay. The, the, point, the point would be, as a parent, you know that. You know that this is a bad idea, right? And so you buy socket covers to cover the holes. And when the kid tries to do something like that, you stop them and you say, no, don't do that. You could get hurt. The child has no idea what that, how that works. What's going to happen? Why is it going to happen? What's electricity? How does electricity work? You as a parent know exactly what could happen and why it could happen and how that could be bad. The child has no idea. Guess what? We are all children of God. He knows so much more than we do about what's going to happen, how it's going to happen, why it's going to happen, and what the outcome will be. Because God is a genius and I am decidedly not. 
And so our series, this short little two-week series, is called The Genius of Jesus. This week, we're going to talk about why he picked the genius of Jesus choosing the Passover of 33 AD as the time for his triumphant entry. Why did he choose this time? We just watched an example of the triumphant entry, right? We saw, we saw kids coming down, celebrating, excited, waving palm branches and singing praises, Hosanna, Hosanna. In fact, the, the scripture tells us that they said, Hosanna, Hosanna, hallelujah, right? The Lord is here. He's, he's here. Come on. God is present. And they throw palm leaves and clothes on the floor. They're, it's like a red carpet. They're laying out for, the God, for God. This is this, this time of celebration where their leader has arrived, where the, the very presence of God is theirs in front of them. Why did Jesus pick then to do it? None of his disciples knew why. In fact, most of them encouraged him not to go into the city. They said, don't do this. This is a crazy time. It's busy. There's so much going on. They're watching for you. They're looking for you. Don't do it. And he says, but it's my time. Because he's a genius. (laughs) Because he knows so much more than we know. Because he is 10 steps ahead of us. So why was this the perfect time? The first is this, the time he picks the Passover. Does anybody know what the Passover is? We find it in Exodus chapter 12. It's after 400 years of slavery. They have been, the, the, the people of God have been living under slavery with the, with the Egyptians for 400 years. Moses and Aaron are, are brought forth, raised up by God. Moses, mostly, but Moses has problems too, right? I can't, I can't talk. I can't do this. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. God's like, fine, I'll give you help, right? But... They come, they come to help the people go free. And this is the last, as we're going into the Passover, this is the last of 10 plagues. He has turned the Nile River to blood already, right? He has infested it with frogs, then gnats, then flies, then killed all the livestock, then covered everything with boils, then rained hail out of nowhere onto them, then and engulf them with locusts, then blotting out the sun in darkness. I don't know about you, but about number three or number four, I'm probably going, let these people go, right? I'm a little stubborn. I would probably go through the first three and go, especially since my magicians could fix it. But by three or four, I'm probably done. He had plagued the people of Egypt nine separate times, and each and every time the Pharaoh said, okay, fine, go, and then said, no, just kidding, don't go. Stubborn man, learn that about your life, okay? Learn that God sends us blood, frogs, gnats, flies, livestock, boils, hail, locusts, darkness, all of those things. He tells you what he wants from you. He warns you sometimes. Keep that in mind. And we ignore it because we want to. That's a side, it's a bonus message. It's a bonus note. But in this case, he's, he's bringing this last item, this tenth of the plagues, death. Death and all the firstborn of Egypt. And so here's, here's our scripture of the day. It says, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month is to be the beginning of months for you. It is the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, they must each select an animal, 
of the flock according to their father's families, one per family. And then he goes on to say, you must have an unblemished animal, a year-old male. You may take it from either the sheep or the goats. You are to keep it until the 14th day of the month, and then the whole assembly of the community of Israel will slaughter the animals at twilight. They must take some of the blood and put it on two doorposts and on the lintel of the houses where they eat them. And then he tells them how they are to eat it. He says, you must, this is, here is how you must eat it. You must be dressed for travel, your sandals on your feet and your staff in your hand. You are to eat it in a hurry. It is the Lord's Passover. I will pass through the land of Egypt on that night and strike every firstborn male in the land of Egypt, both people and animals, because I am the Lord. I will execute judgments against all of the goods of Egypt." The blood on the houses where you are staying will be a distinguished mark for you. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No plague will be among you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. This day is to be, to be a memorial for you, and you must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You are to celebrate it through your generations as a permanent statute. So Jesus picks this time, this time of Passover, this time when they are celebrating what? What are they remembering? God's deliverance. They're remembering freedom from slavery. At this time, when Jesus comes, Jerusalem is under Roman rule, okay? It's under Roman rule. They're oppressed. They don't get to make their own decisions. And Jesus chooses this perfect time, this time when every piece of their, their hearts and their minds, the people of God, are focused on this. And we'll get into to numbers in a minute on how many people come to Jerusalem for this pilgrimage. But, but everybody is focused on deliverance, on freedom, on this time of throwing aside all of those chains that hold them back, throwing aside the oppression of others and going toward the Lord, toward the path He has them on. One of the, the central parts of this Passover is this, what's called a Seder dinner. The Seder, if you've ever been to a Seder, it is incredible. Every piece, every nuance, every decoration, every bit of food, every ceremony, every prayer, every song, everything is all about remembering this deliverance. It's all about finding freedom. It's all about setting aside the oppression of the king and finding that. All the items on this plate would do that. There, is, there are several things. There is a roasted egg. It's a symbol of renewal in the spring. There's the chazaret and the mayor. They are bitter herbs. One would be the lettuce and one would be another herb. They, they are designed to remind them of the bitterness of slavery in Egypt. There is the carpass. It's this parsley dipped in salt water to remind them of the, the tears, the sadness that comes with being in slavery. There's the zeroa. It's the lamb shank bone to remind them of the sacrifice that saved them, the sacrifice of this lamb, this lamb's blood. And there's the charoset, this, this apples, nuts, and spices, which on one hand I would think should taste pretty good, right? Apples, nuts, and spices all mixed together. We make pies out of that stuff. But it's designed to remind them of the mortar used for the bricks. It's the centerpiece. And as Jesus is sitting at this Last Supper, I can see this plate sitting there. They're all being reminded 
of what they've been delivered from. Every element, every piece, every thought, every ceremony, all week long is all about remembering who their God is, what he has done, and what he is going to do again. And so Jesus picks this time to show up. Because truthfully, they're probably more likely to listen because their brains are already focused on it, on that possibility. I don't know that he could have picked a better time. He also picked the perfect place, Jerusalem in 33 A.D. In this environment, Caiaphas is their spiritual leader. He's a a puppet of Rome, and the people of God are frustrated. Rome at this point is about, or not Rome, Jerusalem is about 425 acres. It's about the size. You know how big Bell Fountain is? 6,425 acres. Okay? So it's at least 10 times the size. During this time, the standard population of Jerusalem is about 60,000. Can you imagine cramming 60,000 people in Bell Fountain? Right? So they're already living on top of each other, right? Do you know what the population swells to during this Passover time? Two to 300,000 all celebrating together in this space of 425 acres, which also has houses and a fortress and all in the temple. And all of these things are all here. 300,000 people. I don't know about you, but if I'm in a crowd that size, I'm pretty nervous. First of all, because I'm short and I can't see over the top of anybody. It's a problem. But the, the truth is... Tensions are already high. People are already frustrated. People are already angry. They're tense because Pilate is there. Pilate, the king of of the area, is is there. He is not normally in Jerusalem. He doesn't normally live there. He comes during events like this. Why, do you think? It's blatantly a show of force. The king shows up with extra troops because there are now 300,000 people in this tight little space, and they show up to say, we are here, don't get any ideas. Don't get any ideas. So you've got this place where everybody is thinking about the things of God, thinking about freedom in God, and the, the presence of, of this oppression is right there. It's right on top of them. It's around the corner. You're surrounded by literally hundreds of thousands of people all thinking about freedom in the Lord, right? And you say, well, we could have done it any other time. Any other Passover would have been about the same time or about the same situation, and you're right, except that prior to Roman rule, there would have been not the opportunity that comes with Roman rule. If you look at this series of uh, this map up here, this is the road system that the Romans built. Why is that significant, do you think? At the time, the Romans were the largest empire in the Western world, by far. Their tendrils reach 
all up into Europe and into parts of Asia and into Africa, right? All around the Mediterranean, they're everywhere. They have roads, they have ships, they have all these different vessels and possibilities for travel. There's commerce flowing through. Have you ever heard the phrase, all roads lead to Rome? At that time, they did. In fact, most of the roads did not go between cities. They, they almost starred. They went out, out, down to Rome and then back out, and down to Rome and back out. The travel routes all went through Rome. The trade routes all went through Rome. Everything goes through Rome. And prior to this time, if Jesus had come before now, guess what's not there? That infrastructure is not there. In the first century, the message of the gospel spread like wildfire. It spread like wildfire because God knew that this was the perfect place to start this, at the perfect time to start this because he knew that with this system built, it would spread uncontrollably. He's a God who knows exactly the right time and exactly the right place. And even his disciples who are walking next to him say, why now? Do you ever say, why now? Why do you want me to go talk to this person now? Why do you want me to go make a difference at TLC now? Well, now is because God has appointed this time. He's appointed this time and this place and this person. And it's not okay for us to second guess that because he is always how many steps ahead of us? Ten. And that's just a rough, probably really lame, low guess. He's always ahead of us. In Acts chapter 2, we see how this pans out, why this is important. In Acts 2, 8 through 12, at, at Pentecost, we see it. How is it that each of us can hear them? These people are listening to the, the, the people of God speaking in their own native tongues. He says, how can each of us hear them in our own native language? Parthians, this is how many people are here, and this is all because of the road system and the trade. There are Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those who lived in Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Pharyngia and Philip and Pamphylia and Egypt and in the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in their own tongues. They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does that mean? That happens because God picked exactly the right time. He picked the time when all roads would lead to Rome. And from there, it would spread to the, to the earth. Our charge is not to ask God if this is the right time. Our, our charge is to assume that this is the right time, and our, our job is to move forward with it. If God says, go get the donkey and tell him I'm going to borrow it, then we need to go get the donkey and tell him we're going to borrow it. Not worry about the germs in jail, which I don't personally want to find out about either. So it's the perfect time and the perfect place and then he also sends, which really confuses his disciples and everybody else around him, the perfect Savior. You know, there was a, he used 
God used in Exodus, in our story in Exodus today, he used blood, the blood of a lamb over a door frame. I don't know about you, but if God's asking me to paint blood over a door frame, I'm going, how is this going to ward off the evil spirit that's going to kill everybody? Because I'm a pessimist like that sometimes. How is this going to work? This doesn't make any sense, right? There's nothing special about a lamb's blood, nothing special at all. It's not grand. It's unblemished, which means perfect, right? Without flaw. There's nothing immensely special about it. And yet God says, by doing this, by sacrificing this lamb and putting blood over your doorway and trusting me, I will deliver you. I will give you freedom from your oppression. I will give you freedom from the king. And at this Passover, at this time when Jesus is here, he sends his son as the Lamb of God. Not a general, because can I just tell you, most people of the time expected God to send a mighty king or a mighty general that would literally destroy everybody else and make Israel the nation, supplant Rome. Can I just tell you how limited a goal that is? You want to take the place of Rome? Yeah, Rome seemed to rule the Western world at the time, but in, in the span of the consideration of the size of the entire globe, how much did Rome really rule? So often we think our goals, right? Our goals are just so grand, but in the grander scheme of the universe, in the grander scheme of God, in the grander scheme of all time, our goals are nothing compared to the goals that God is setting. They're nothing compared to the mission that he has us on. And this week we celebrate one thing. We celebrate the notion that he sent his son by all rights a king who could have called down an army of angels, who could have achieved all those goals that generally we think matter, more safety, more security, and in some place, cases, more power, whatever that may be, more influence. He could have done all of those things, and instead, he sends a humble servant without blemish, without blame, to allow himself to be tortured to allow himself to be killed, not so that we could have freedom from an earthly king or an earthly oppression, but so that we could have freedom in all of eternity. That is not what the people of God expected, but it is exactly what the people of God needed. And to be honest with you, still need I try, I don't try. I generally do not um, preach a sermon specifically for the purpose of telling people that they need to come to know Jesus to find freedom in their eternity. But I'm telling you today that that is exactly what I'm preaching. <laughs> that is exactly what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that God sent at the perfect time, in the perfect place, the perfect Savior. It is a once-in-eternity event. He did, he did not send another one. He isn't going to send another one later. 
okay? This was one sacrifice that washes away all of our sins. This is one complete and finished sacrifice that provides salvation for all of us and freedom for all of us, for all those who choose to follow him. With him, there is life. Without him, there is death. Pure and simple. God desires none of you to perish. None. Because he loves you. And he sent his son, the perfect savior, to tell you just that. And if you have not chosen to do that, as Tina told us at the beginning, today should be the day. Because there's no better game coming. He was the best and is the best. And he is the source of life. Simple. Genius. As we close today, I'm going to offer a prayer. We have a few prayers on our prayer list for today, prayer concerns. First is, is Tony Beatty. Uh, he is in need of back surgery. He has it scheduled for April 25th, but your family would like it to come sooner. Would you like it to come sooner? Yes, you'd like it to get bumped up and come sooner. Uh, Holly would like to praise that the 5K went well after 3 o'clock last week, that the weather cleared up and they got to walk and they made money for the, for the cause and it was great. She'd also like to, us to pray for the troops, right? We always want to pray for the troops. Is there anything else? Anybody else have any prayers today? Anything they'd like to talk about? Anything that's bothering you that you would like to, to talk individually with somebody about or that you would to like to tell the church? Anybody would like to make a decision to follow the Lord today? Because if, you're, if you haven't, you are missing out. You are missing out on the perfect Savior. You are missing out on the perfect blessing. You're missing out on the gift of God. I will do something a little different before we leave today. I will also pray for the meal and, and our time of fellowship. We're going to come together for our threefold communion. And I'll say that one more time. If you have not ever participated, please come. If you're nervous about participating, about taking your shoes off, everybody is. Huh? Mm. Or you could avoid it, yes, but I don't recommend it. And if you didn't bring a dish, I'm pretty confident there'll be plenty of food. Barb's going, yes, there's plenty of food back there. There'll be plenty of food for you to share a meal with us. We would love to have you be a part of the blessings of the Lord. As I read our scripture today, it comes out of Luke chapter 22, it's verses 14 through 16. It is here that the Lord has chosen to institute what we call the Lord's Supper. This time of remembrance that is, is mirroring the Passover, this time of deliverance where God delivered his people. He mirrors it again for us and says, as you move forward in your life with Christ, you must remember, remember what I have done for you. Remember the salvation that comes through me. Remember the events of this week, of this time, of this place. Remember this. And this is one of the ways that he chooses to do that and one of the ways that we choose to reflect that desire. It says this, it says, And when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. 
And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which I have given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is of the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on this side table as we just read. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined. We remember that in the presence of of God, people still, even in the presence of his betrayers, even in the presence of his betrayers, the Lord says nothing will stop this from happening. Nothing will stop God from being glorified. Nothing will stop salvation from coming. Nothing. And we take this meal to remember that. That our God is unstoppable. Amen? Let's close in prayer. Father God, we are so thankful for you, for the salvation of your Son. For those of us who have come to know him, It is an indescribable blessing. Brings a sense of peace that you just can't find anywhere else. The notion that you see and know all that is happening in our lives, you know our our hearts and our minds, our problems, our difficulties, our deepest desires. You know our, our stumbling blocks, our challenges. You know them all. And you have laid out a path for those to to be no longer problems. For us to be clean in you for all of eternity. For us to not be weighed down by the chains of sin or to be oppressed by those around us, but to realize that our freedom is eternal in you. That you are the source of life. That you are the source of strength. That you are the source of freedom. And it is your blood who gives us that freedom. It is your body's sacrifice that atones for our sins and makes it right when we couldn't. Father God, as we recline today, as you did with your disciples, as we go to eat together, let us do it in remembrance of you. As we wash each other's feet, allow us to to see within our minds you doing that for your disciples. Something that encouraged Peter to say, don't just wash my feet, wash all of me. And lo and behold, you did. Father God, we are thankful for you, for your Son, and for his Holy Spirit. Please give us strength, courage, and fill our hearts with love for the world. It is in Jesus' holy name that we pray, amen. Thank you. And please, I'm not kidding, come eat with us. We would love to have you.